Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. When I was a little boy, I used to sleep with a nightlight in my bedroom. And uh, the nightlight was to keep that monster that was lurking underneath my bed from uh, attacking me and eating me during the night. Just out of curiosity, did, did anyone else growing up, did you have a monster underneath your bed or in your closet lurking in there that you had to have a nightlight just to, to keep you safe? Um, seriously, we, we chuckle about that now, but here's what you need to know. Those monsters, uh, they're still around. They're still around. They just moved from underneath the bed into your head, into your head. We're continuing our Firm Foundation series this morning. We've been looking at some basic faith-building blocks that if we'll apply them, will help transform our lives and help us in our relationship with God. And honestly, uh, the building block that we're looking at this morning is arguably the most difficult one yet and probably the most difficult one altogether uh, because this morning we're going to talk about how to renew our mind how to renew our mind. And the, this morning's, uh, the subtitle to this morning's message is Check Up from the Neck Up. Check Up from the Neck Up. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The Apostle Paul said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Interesting statement there. And uh, I'm going to be up front. I just told you, this is hard. In fact, Sue and I were talking about, Kyle and I were talking about knowing that this message was coming up. We were talking about how, the, you know, this, this, this is a really a hard thing to do. Um, one reason that renewing our mind is so difficult is because of how it operates. It's like a computer, a very complex computer. Because whatever you put into it, however you program it, that's what's going to come out. And when you're living in a day and age where you have almost instant, sometimes real-time access to events happening around the world... I mean, sometimes that, that's, that's, not a, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing, especially considering statistics tell us that the bad news to good news ratio, I don't know how they came up with this, but the bad news to good news ratio is 17 to 1. For every one piece of good news we get, there are 17 pieces of bad news that we get, 17 bad or tragic ones. And the tendency, the tendency is to hear these reports and talk about these reports with others and commiserate with others about all this stuff that's going on in the world. And so while we're doing this, we're running these through our minds, but you need to be careful because the more that we dwell on these negative and discouraging thoughts, the more it can defeat us and beat us down. And the scary thing is it happens so subtly, we don't even realize it. Because we're creatures of habit, we, we don't even realize that, that we're following that pattern of negative thinking. A few years ago, we did some remodeling in the church. At one time, the men's restroom used to be back there, kind of where, where the sound room is, and the women's was back there in where the, the, the green room, where the pantry used to be, where the green room is now. And uh, they, honestly, those restrooms were afterthought. You almost got the impression they built the building and thought, oh, yeah, we better put a couple bathrooms in. And so they put these small little bathrooms back there. So anyway, eventually, we totally reconfigured, redesigned, remodeled the church and put those new restrooms out there. But it's interesting because for the first couple of weeks, probably the first month or so, maybe longer, after those changes were made, 
I found myself, when I had to use the restroom, I started walking towards where the restroom used to be. Oh, oh, that's right, it's over here now. It's over here. I probably could have done it blindfolded. I had done that so many times. The point being, we're programmed to think certain ways about certain things. And we often do it without even thinking. We often think without thinking about what we're thinking about. Did you get that? And if your tendency is to think negative and you do nothing to curb that, that tendency, then your worldview and your life experience is going to tend to be on the, guess what, negative side. Anyone know any negative people? Anyone work with any negative people? Don't you just love being around them? Yeah. Each week, each day, there's a brand new drama thing going on in their life, right? Some Debbie Downer coming in there talking about what's going on now in their life, right? Here's what happens when you fall negative, when you fall prey to negative mindset. A couple of things that are, that are really damaging. Number one, negative thinking robs our faith. Negative thinking robs our faith because it's difficult to live with an attitude that says, God is bigger than my problems when you approach every problem thinking, well, this really sucks. Or you know what? This, this is so typical. I, I should have known. I should have known that this was going to happen, right? That's just how my life is, Right? It's difficult to live with an attitude that says, I'm blessed and highly favored when every time a little inconvenience comes along, you're like, oh man, are you kidding me? You get so pitted out over those. Negative thinking robs our faith. Number two, negative thinking has a paralyzing effect. It has a paralyzing effect because it causes us to think, what's the use? You know, what's, what's the use? So we actually end up being less active. It causes us to think, why bother trying? Why bother trying? Nothing works out anyway. Why go on a diet? You know what? I'll drink, I'll just drink water and eat celery stalks for the next three months. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get discouraged. And after a couple of weeks, you thought, you know what? Forget this. This ain't working. Then you go to five guys and celebrate with a cheeseburger, right? Blow that thing out of the water. Seriously, we, we kind of get to the point, you know, why am I doing this? All my self-denial, all this discipline and suffering, that's pointless. Right? Why should I work? Why should I try to work on this? It's not going to work out. Why should I work on this marriage? You know what? If they don't care, I don't care. So why should I be the one to work on this? Right? Why bother? Seeing only the faults in others prevents you from seeing their good qualities, which prevents you from enjoying the fullness of the relationship that God intended when he puts you into that relationship. However, if you're willing to do the hard work of taking control of your thought life, it really can be a difference maker, a game changer. What kind of difference? You know, one of the misconceptions about positive thinking is that it's nothing more than wishful thinking and it leads to this almost unrealistic Pollyanna view of life. But that's not the case. The, the purpose of positive thinking isn't so, to create some unrealistic view of life, but it is to create a realistic view of life so that you can do something about it so that you can do something about it. Positive thinking doesn't mean that you avoid thinking about negative things. It means that you avoid thinking about things negatively. That's a huge difference there. Note that it's a, it's a huge difference. Negative thinkers say this is a terrible situation and there's no solution. So you know what? It is what it is, right? Positive thinkers say, you know what? This is a terrible situation, but I'm going to look for ways to make the most of it. I'm going to look for ways to make it better. So the question is, how do you do it? How do you take control of your thought life? Because I'll be the first to admit, I, I, I haven't mastered this. I haven't mastered this, not by a long shot. But fortunately, 
The Bible talks about someone who did master this, and his name was Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. And if anybody, if anybody knew how to win the battle of the mind, it was the Apostle Paul. But the good news for us is he wasn't always there. He didn't always win that battle. In fact, if you read some of the early writings of Paul, sometimes he actually looks and sounds a little bit crazy, which was encouraging to me about you, you know, because sometimes I, sometimes I wonder, yeah, I feel like I'm going crazy here, right? Because sometimes when dealing with this battle of the mind, you're like, in fact, how many remember this statement by Paul? You know, and, and you, know, you might have said something similar or something, you know, maybe worded a little bit differently. But one time he said, you know what, God, the things I know I should be doing, I'm not doing. And the things I know I shouldn't be doing, that's what I'm doing. That's crazy talk, isn't it? But how, how, many, how many does that describe here? That's, that's where we find ourselves. It's the exact same thing. And he finally says, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Who will, who will deliver me from this body of death? A little dramatic there, Paul. But seriously, he was frustrated. He didn't know what to do about it. But we know that he won the battle. You know how we know that Paul won this battle of the mind? How else? How else could he write while sitting in a, in a Roman prison cell, chained to a guard 24-7, how else could the apostle Paul write? I mean, he has nothing going for him at this time. And yet he writes this in Philippians 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, being in prison, what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. So he's got that eternal mindset. He's taking that bad situation and shifting his mindset to an eternal perspective. You know what? I don't like it. Yeah, it sucks. I wouldn't sign up for it. But you know what? God's actually using it in a positive way. Philippians 1.18. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And when you look at this situation and you, when you want to ask Paul, how in the world could you rejoice? How in the world could you say those things? And his answer would be because I've learned to capture the thoughts in my mind. And that's what we're going to talk about. But the first step to winning the war in our mind is recognizing that it is a war. It's a battle. Which the, which the Apostle Paul made clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Verse 4. For we, now notice the terminology that Paul uses here. For the weapons of our warfare. Yeah, we're in a battle. We're in a battle that, that, that where, where we need weapons and, and, and it's warfare. But it's not a conventional battle. It's a, it's a unique battle requiring unique weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And, and these next four words are huge because it gives us a clear picture of the challenge that we face when it comes to changing our way of thinking. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, changing your way of thinking, it's not a passive exercise. It's not a passive exercise. It's an active, it's an active exercise that we initiate. Paul says that ultimately the struggles we face in life are rooted in the spiritual realm. That, that realm, that's like, it's right there. It's like right out there. It, we can't touch it. We can't see it, but it's there. It's there. We just, can't, we just can't touch it or see it. He says, but it, it, it's a, in, in that realm, there's a stronghold. 
Now, that's not a word that you hear very often. The word that he used there means literally fortified prison. That's what it means, a fortified prison. And is that not what takes place when you have a stronghold in your life? You, you find yourself in it. You might not call it that, but you're, you're, you're in a fortified prison. You're a prisoner locked by deception. You believe the lies that have put you in that prison. What does our enemy do? Our enemy tries to shape our thinking one lie at a time. Just one lie at a time. He doesn't overload us. No, no, no. We, we, we would recognize that. No, just, just one little subtle lie at a time. And before we know it, we find ourselves in this prison believing something is true that's, that's not true at all. Here's how this works. Whenever we have a thought, our brain is literally redesigning itself around that thought. There, there, there's a, a changing chemical makeup of the brain. And what's interesting is every single thought that we have creates a neurochemical change in our body. So if you think a positive thought, your body rewards you with this drug. By the way, you wanna, I used to be a brain surgeon. That's how I know all this stuff. Just seeing if you're awake there. But, but no, I, I read this article. It was fascinating. Um, so if you think a positive thought, your body rewards you with this drug and it, it kind of gives you this natural high. It's called dopamine, not dope. Some of you got excited there for a second. No, no, no. Dopamine, right? And dopamine is a drug our body produces that gives us a legal buzz. It functions both as a hormone and a neurotransmitter and it plays several important roles in our brain and also through our body. Now, you don't need to remember all that. All you need to remember is that that feeling you get when you think something positive or experience something positive. Like, like when you get the phone call, it says, well, we just want you to know you got the job. We're going to hire you. And it's like, dopamine kicks in, right? right? Like, 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 you know, when, when you're, you get 112 likes on that post you put on Facebook, oh, look at this, dopamine kicks in, right? Somebody says, man, you're looking good. Have you lost weight? Cha-ching, dopamine kicks in. It's that little, that little hit, that little chemical high, that thrill, and that's, that's your brain saying, hey, I like that. Let's do that again. But here's what happens. The more you think a thought, the more you're creating what scientists call neural pathways in your brain. In other words, your brain creates a path the more you think that thought. When I was a little kid, my, my best friend grew up two houses down from us. And uh, rather than going, walking out the driveway, walking down to his house down the street, two houses down, and then walking up his driveway, um, I, would, uh, I would go out our back door and then walk behind the house next to us and the, one, the next one next to him because he was three houses down. And it was just quicker to do that. And I, after a while, I didn't even think about it. That's just, and whenever he would come visit me, he would do the same thing. Well, after a while, it wore a path. In, in the neighbor's yards. And, and, and these, were, these were those type of neighbors that were OCD about their lawns. And so uh, they talked to my parents and they talked to my friend's parents. And so we were forbidden from ever taking that shortcut again, right? And so from that point on, I had to you know, kind of go the long way. But before long, once I quit taking that shortcut, the grass started growing up along that path. And by a month, six weeks later, I mean, you had to look really hard, but you, you couldn't even see where that path was. You couldn't even see that. That's kind of how the, the, the principle behind how the brain works, those, those neural paths. The more you go down them, the, more that it's, the easier it's going to be to go down them. But if you quit going down them, eventually, 
they'll, 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 they'll go away. You, you won't recognize them anymore. In order to change your thinking, you have to change the path your thoughts travel on. If, if you choose to stay off the unhealthy pathway, right, over time, that grass starts to grow up and it's not as easy to travel and not as appealing and you create new pathways to God, honoring thoughts. And suddenly the God truth becomes default instead of the lie becoming the default. Does that make sense? That, that, that's, that's kind of, I know that's maybe not a good illustration, but that's kind of how that works. But, and please don't misunderstand me here. This isn't mind over matter. This isn't mind over matter. It's not even, it's not even thinking your way to a better life. It, it, it's not positive thinking as much as it is, it's positive faith. It's positive faith. It, it's filtering our thinking through our faith in Jesus Christ. For almost all of us, in almost every situation, most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind because the mind is a battlefield. Sorry, Pat Benatar and all you children of the 80s. It's not love is a battlefield. Your mind Mind is the battlefield because our mind is the arena where the battle between God's truth about you and Satan's lies to you play out. That's where that plays out. It's the arena of your mind, which leads us to our main idea for this morning's message. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So as we talk about how to win this battle of our mind, three things to help kind of jumpstart you and get you started here. Number one, think on purpose. Think on purpose. Think about what you think about. Paul said that, that we needed to take every thought captive or to make it obedient to Christ. Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And Paul's talking about the influence that the world has on our belief system and, and, and our most basic ideas about life. See, the world teaches one philosophy and the Bible teaches another. And we need to make sure that our thinking aligns with God's word, not with what we see out in our culture and in society. Our minds, and you guys know this, our minds are amazing. I mean, they have the capacity to do some amazing things. Not all those are good. But even just in how quick we can think and process information, your thoughts do matter. So, so try to be more intentional about your thoughts and thought life. So let me ask you a question. Are you excited about where your thoughts are taking you? You should ask yourself that question. Are you excited about the direction your thoughts are taking you? If your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, are you satisfied? Are you blessed? Are you excited by the direction your thought life is taking you? So think on purpose. Second, think with a filter. Think with a filter. This past week, a few of us met with a representative from Split Log Coffee Company, company uh, and roastery in, in uh, Kansas City, Kansas, um, about uh, partnering with them uh, to use some of one of their uh, designer coffee blends, uh, which, which we are, by the way, and we started that this morning. But in our conversation with this guy, he was telling us, and we already, we already Sue and I had already knew this because we talked to some other people at one time, but he said, you know, he said, really, the key uh, to great tasting coffee, it's not just the beans, he said, it's the water. The water. The water is huge. It's huge because if you don't have filtered water, it doesn't matter how good the beans are. You know, it, it's not going to be on par with what, what the, the, the purpose and the goal of that, that coffee was supposed to be in the first place, right? So it's talking about filter, but it's not just coffee. It's not, I mean, filtered water makes tea taste better. Filtered water makes ice taste better. Filtered water makes spaghetti taste better. Filtered water makes everything taste better. 
because purified water has all the impurities filtered out of it. In the same way, Paul suggests that we use a filter for our minds. Web designers use a, a little trick when you go to one web page, but they actually want you to go to another web page. It's, it's a little line on the HTML code called redirect. That way, if a website or web page has changed names or moved uh, to a new location, when you go to the old one, it will automatically redirect you to the new one, right? It's a pretty handy tool, but you know what? It's a pretty good tool for your thought habits as well. When you find yourself thinking something you shouldn't be thinking, practice a redirect. Just send it down in a different direction. Move your thoughts onto something good and clean and pure. This is the second step to taking control of your thought life. And then third, third, think in the direction of change. Think in the direction of change. George Bernard Shaw, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature, once said this, those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Can't change your mind? You're not going to change anything. He may not have realized it, but he was indirectly referencing a Bible principle of transformation. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 23, your hearts and minds must be made completely new. Why? Why? Because you're living with a completely different perspective now, an eternal perspective. And transformed behavior begins with a transformed thought life. See, taking control of your thought life doesn't just mean that you learn to think better things. It means you learn to think better things so that you can act better so that you can act on those things that, that, that you're they're changing your thought life on. That's the goal, not to just think those things. You want that to be filtered out through your life. Yeah, I, I want to think differently. I want to think differently so I can act differently. Because you realize that we're just one thought away from either our destiny or our demise. One thought. We're just one thought away from our destiny or our demise. That's why you'll never be able to live a positive life with a negative mind. And if anyone knew how to win the battle of the mind, it was the Apostle Paul. And we know that not just because of what he said, but because of the circumstances he was in when he said or wrote these words of encouragement. And ironically, ironically, some of the most encouraging and in liberating statements the Apostle Paul made, he made while he was actually locked up in prison. The letters of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, they call those the prison, the prison epistles. The prison epistles, because all four of those letters were written when Paul was in prison. And it was in that environment that Paul wrote these words. Now listen to this. This is amazing. Philippians 1, verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Again, he wrote that when he was sitting in a prison cell. Chained, chained to a Roman guard. Historians tell us that Roman guards worked in four-hour shifts. So if my math is correct, that meant that every 24 hours, Paul would get to witness to six different guards. Now, maybe not different, maybe it was, but he would get to get six opportunities to witness during that 24, every 24-hour period. because Paul was able to think about and interpret his current circumstances in a different way. And he would mention that this filter, and I'm going to mention it here in a few, but he, 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 he filters his circumstances through these different things. I'm going to look at it in just a second. But I want you to notice how he concludes his letter because here, here, here's how he, here was his, here's, what, here's his filter. And this would be a good verse to memorize. 
Here, here was Paul's filter, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, in other words, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Whatever is true, well, there goes Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, right? Instagram. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Well, there goes that series on Netflix I was wanting to binge watch. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And as you think about, as you think about those things, run your thoughts through these seven or eight filters. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent or praiseworthy? In other words, is, is, the, is this thought worthy of my time? If it is, give it your full attention. If it's not, do a redirect and get rid of it and move on. That's what he's saying there. Fill your mind with good things. But the key here is it was his choice. This didn't happen in spite of Paul. He had to make a choice to do this. One can only wonder. One can only wonder how Philippians 1, 12, and 13 might have read if Paul chose to do what many of us tend to do when we find ourselves in a difficult situation or a circumstance that we don't particularly like, right? where we tend to get discouraged and start thinking negatively and start feeling sorry for ourselves. See, Paul could have said this. Paul could have said, now, brothers, I want you to know that what has happened to me really sucks. I mean, just, just really sucks. Right? Therefore, as a result of the hell that I've been through, I'm quitting growth group. I'm stepping down from the dream team that I've been serving on. And you probably won't ever see me back at church again. And that, that would be the NWV, the new whiners version. <laughs> Paul had a choice. He had a choice. At some point in time, he made the decision to redirect his thoughts and create some new neural pathways in his brain. How? He tells us, right after listing those eight things that we should filter our thinking through, he tells us exactly how to do it. Philippians 4, verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard, see, have received and heard and seen in me, everyone say this next word with me, practice. 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 These things. And the God of peace will be with you. In other words, practice in peace go together. Practice those things and peace go together. Look, if you don't have any peace in your life, perhaps you should take inventory to see if you've been practicing these things that Paul's mentioned. Maybe you need to start using that filter that he gave us. Those of you who have an exercise routine, say if you go running or jogging or go to the gym to work out, you're essentially training your body to be in better shape physically, right? When you train your mind, you're, you're, training, you're training towards truth. See, it's not, just about, it's not just about going running or lifting or jogging or sit-ups or, or any of that kind of stuff. You know, th those are good things to do. But to be truly physically healthy, it's not just what we do with our body. It's also what we put into our body, right? It's what you put into your body. To be truly healthy... What goes into your body needs to be healthy as well. Same is true with our mind, dear ones. Same is true with our mind. To truly have a God-centered, healthy mind, it's not just about what you do with it, it's about what you put into it. 
And the way that we feed our mind is through meditation. Not just meditation, but meditation on God's word. Now, again, when talking about meditation and meditating on God's word, don't misunderstand what, I, what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about some new age exercise where you go on top of some mountain somewhere and contemplate your navel and try to figure out if there's a God somewhere or something. No, 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 no. That, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Let, let me define what I talk about when I'm talking about meditation. Meditation is basically the, the purest definition to engage in mental exercise to focus one's thoughts. So with that definition in mind, Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16, I will meditate, I will focus my mind and meditate on all, on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. In other words, I'm focusing my mind on you, God. I'm focusing my mind on you. Psalm 143, verse five. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. God, God, I'm thinking about your truth. I'm thinking about your presence. I'm thinking about your goodness. I'm thinking about your works. I'm, I'm meditating on you, God. See, when your mind isn't focused, it doesn't drift towards truth. It drifts towards lies because we're fallen creatures. And that's true, whether you believe it or not. When your mind isn't focused, if you leave your mind, your mind left to itself, it's not going to wander towards that. No, no, no. It's going to wander towards bad stuff. That's not a commentary on you. That's just a commentary on, hey, we're sinners. We're broken people. That's why we need to meditate to exercise our mind. Meditation is simply training our minds towards truth and health. And if we'll do this, we will see a difference. We will see an improvement in our thinking and thought life. 69 years ago, May 1954, a guy by the name of Roger Bannister did what everyone said couldn't be done. He ran a mile in under four minutes. Now, up until that time, all the so-called experts believed that breaking the four-minute barrier, number one, they didn't think it could be done. They said, okay, if it happens, we don't think it could be done, but if it happens, it's going to have to be ideal conditions, right? The, the, the weather would have to be perfect. You know, there, there'd have to be no wind. You know, there'd have to be like a large crowd cheering the runner on to kind of give him that adrenaline boost, you know? So, so yeah, it could happen, but, but everything would have to be just perfect. But on May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister had none of those things going for him. None of those things. In fact, on the day he broke the record, it was a miserable day. It was cold. It was wet, which kept the crowd down. There was less than 3,000 people in the, in the stadium. And, and, and also, remember this. While he was determined to break the record, running was just his hobby. I mean, yeah, he, he was determined to break the record, but it was just a hobby. The majority of his time was spent studying because he was in med school, studying to become a neurosurgeon. So with limited physical training, and less than ideal weather conditions, how was Roger Bannister able to break the four-minute mile? I'll tell you how. Because he focused as much time on conditioning his mind as he did his body. In fact, he recorded this statement in his journal. He said, the mental approach is all important because the strength and power of the mind are without limit. And then he said, all this energy, all this energy can be harnessed by the correct attitude of mind. But the proof, the proof that that barrier, that the, the impediment to a sub four minute mile was psychological, the proof that it was just psychological, not physical, 
lies not with what Bannister accomplished that soggy May morning in Oxford, England, but with what happened after he broke the world record because just 46 days, think about this, 46 days after Bannister's historic feat, guy by the name of John Landy, an Australian jogger, an Australian runner, not only followed Bannister past the four-minute barrier, he bested it by over a full second. And before the calendar year ended, three more runners broke the four-minute mark in that same race. So what changed? What happened? I mean, did, did runners start getting faster? Well, was there a sudden uh, growth spurt in human evolution? Uh, was there this genetic engineering experiment that created a new race of super runners? What happened? No. What changed was the mental model. The mental model. See, the runners of the past had always been held back by a mindset that said they couldn't do a mile in less than four minutes. When that limit was broken, the others saw, oh, hey, wait a minute, this can be done. This can be done. This is doable. This is doable. So meditation is huge when it comes to renewing our mind. But, but changing your thinking doesn't just give you a physical advantage. And this is the whole point here. It, it also can give us a, an advantage spiritually. A couple months ago, uh, most of you know Derek and Jessica Couch, and their two girls, Bailey and Brindley. A couple months ago, Jessica's dad, Martin, uh, was put under hospice care. Um, since then, uh, we've been by to see him two or three or four times and um, just you know visit with him and pray with him, him and his wife, Eunice, uh, Jessica's mom. And... Um, we stopped by there. I asked Jessica last Sunday morning. I said, hey, how's your dad doing? And she said, you know, he's really doing good. Uh, I said, really? He said, yeah. So, so we went by Thursday and, uh, to visit with him. And um, I, I got to be honest. Uh, in all my years of dealing with people who have been under hospice care, I've, I've never seen a case like this. I've never seen a case. Because usually in these instances... Each time I went to visit the person, if, if I did go multiple times, uh, they got progressively worse each time I went to, to visit them. And um, with Martin, it's been exactly the opposite. The first time I went, he was lying in a bed. I mean, he was coherent, you know, but... And then the next time, he was in a wheelchair. But, but honestly, it's like each time, it's like he is... And it almost seems like he has gotten stronger. Now, look, they're not naive. Him and Eunice both know Barring divine intervention, yeah, his days are numbered. He knows that. But in talking with him, he actually made this comment. He said, because I said, man, Martin, you're looking good. He said, you know, I don't remember exactly how he worded it, but basically he said, you know, I never realized how much of this was mental. I never realized how much of this is mental. Just, just you know, kind of like Paul. You know, Paul's in a situation no one would sign up for. But he realized the key was changing the way that he was thinking about it. And Martin said, you know, I realize how much of this is mental. And he said, gosh, he said, I'm, I, I just, he said earlier I got off the phone with a, a, a nephew. I think he, he said I'd probably talked to five times my entire life. He said, we talked for an hour and 20 minutes. And he said, you know, he, he's just, I'm just, I'm just embracing this moment, that, this, 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 this time that God has given me. And I thought, I thought, I need to remember that. And I even told him, I said, Martin, I said, I want to share that because I'm going to be talking about renewing your mind. And I said, this, you, you, are a, you are a classic case of how this can work. 
Again, again, you know, barring divine intervention, yeah, I mean, his days are, are limited. But you know what? He has refused to give in to that defeated mentality. In the same way you train your body, you can train your mind to focus on truth, meditating on truth. At the very simplest, at the very simplest meditation, it's just focus. I want to focus on what's true because, because when my mind wanders, it doesn't wander towards truth. It wanders towards lies and falsehood. It wanders towards, you're, you're not good enough. You'll never measure up. It wanders towards, oh, who do you think you are? Why do you even bother trying? It wanders towards, you know what? Your life is hard. Nobody understands, right? You can't go on. You'll, you'll never make it. No, 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 no. Make a conscious decision not to go there. Start creating new pathways. Quit going down those old ones. Let the grass grow back up on those. Create new neural pathways. Spiritually speaking, let God, let his word, let his truth renew your mind and choose not to believe those lies anymore. Choose to embrace the truth like Martin did. So question, question. What's your four-minute mile barrier? We all have them, right? We all have them. What stronghold, a couple of questions to keep the discussion going. What stronghold is holding you back? What's your, what's your four-minute mile barrier? Where in your life are you being held hostage because of a false or wrong mindset? Where in your life, where in your life are you believing a lie, something that isn't true? Write it out if you have to. Write it out because you can't defeat what you can't define. After identifying the stronghold, identify the truth that exposes and counteracts that lie. And that's the second point. What stronghold is holding you back? Identify it, write it out. Second, what truth demolishes that stronghold? Because I guarantee you, the truth is God's word. And for every lie that the enemy gives you, there is a truth in God's word that will counteract that lie. So identify what stronghold, what lie is holding you back? And what truth from God's word counteracts that lie? The devil speaks falsehood and lies. You're defeated. God's word says, no, 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 no. You're more than a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Whatever that lie is, name it. Put a label on it. Write it. Think it. Confess it until you believe it. Write it. Think it. Confess it until you believe it. Write it. Think it. Confess it until you believe it. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Create those new neural pathways towards health. Few minutes every day, sparking that brain that God so intricately created with new pathways of truth, 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 truth. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. You can't have a positive life when you have a negative mind. What comes into your mind comes out in your life. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to recognize that the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Ours have divine power to pull down and demolish strongholds. We take every thought captive and we are renewing it by the power of God's word. And I'm just telling you, some of you here, you've been believing a lie for far too long. Far too long. God doesn't care. God doesn't care about you. Are you serious? You really think God can forgive you for what you did? Really? There's no way God could ever use you, let alone forgive you. Let me tell you the truth about our God. 
Our God is love. Love isn't just something he does. Love is who he is. Love is who he, it is his nature. In fact, some of you here today, you came here just to hear that. You just needed to hear, God loves you. Doesn't matter what you did. He loves you. But he loves you too much to let you stay where you are. So if you're willing, ready to trust him today, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer that will connect you or reconnect you with God. And the promise of God's word is when you call on his name, that he'll forgive you, give you a fresh start. So if that's you, just let me lead you in this prayer. It's not so much the words, it's just believing it in your heart. Just believe what you're about to pray. Just say, Lord, I confess my need for you today. I know that I'm broken and I can't, and I can't fix myself. I recognize that now. So, so I'm asking you to come live inside of me by your Holy Spirit. Save me, heal me, fill me with your Holy Spirit and fill my mind with truth and change my way of thinking so I can, so I can start following you. I give my life to you now and I receive your truth and life in return. Thank you for this new life. In Jesus' name, amen.